You're listening to the Green Majority Radio Program. Thank you so much for listening. If you're interested in becoming a member with the Green Majority, you can do that by going to greenmajority.ca and clicking on the link. There's a button that says patron, or you can skip the middleman. If you've already been to the website, you can just go straight to patron.ca, or sorry, patron.com, my apologies, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash greenmajority. Welcome. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM. You may have just been shocked awake by the intensity of our theme song. Yeah, that was... Coming in strong. But that's uh, because otherwise we wouldn't have had one. Mm, well, yes, yeah, I'm doing bad. This, uh, this is the first week when I've successfully got it on at the right, the right time. So. We're, we're, well, that's well, then sort of like slowly getting better. Yeah, right? slow improvement. That's our <laughs> motto. So I'm your host, Darren Kaster. I'm sitting in studio just with Stefan Hossitter today. But that's, that's okay, because Stefan's great. I'm surviving. You know, I'm. Uh, we, we, we at the very least, I'm giving you something. Yeah. So we were. Uh, we we've both had a very busy week. Let, let us put it that way. So we're. In, we'll uh, preemptively apologize. Neither of us is 100. percent But we still have a real show for you. Um, and uh, so what's basically going to happen is uh, that uh, we've got a little bit of news. I'm going to run through here in a middle, um, and then uh, we're going to uh, basically. Stefan has a. Uh, a story he wrote, and um, I understand this had this was not intended in any way for air. We just decided after the fact to play it, but it was a story about. Do you, do you want to just give a quick preview? Yeah, totally. Um, basically, it's a. Uh, the idea is that I'm trying to, to try to figure out exactly how this makes sense. Um, it, it, like it's so. What's interesting? The point of the, around the whole piece is that it's a. Um, the. Sorry, a what if story? A what, not a what? Yeah, sort of like a what if story. Yeah, it's like uh, we're looking at this whole piece of this being the, the idea behind this writing the story was when I usually write a lot of nonfiction and this is fiction, and so the question was how do I manage to make a a story that actually manages to cover this larger piece, uh, or or how to make a story that actually. That that is a fiction story, but has some element of truth to it. And the element of truth to this is like my legitimate fear for the state of the world. <laughs> um, and and so how that relates to to what we're, to what we're doing here is that it's it's really just about uh, you know I have this as I'm sure many people do this existential dread uh, about about the future, and I usually just hide from that dread. You know, I usually just I tamp it down, carry on with my day, and and then don't really examine that piece of that of that dread. Um, but I thought it would be useful and valuable to explore legitimately how a, a version of the future I think that could happen, uh, and a version of future that I think uh, you know inaction on climate change and then and other and you know and other things like that could lead to creating. Um, and because I think it's hard for us as, 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 as humans to picture a world that's different from what we've always experienced mm. and, and, and things don't change until, until they change, you know, until they're different. Mm. And so, and so the idea here is to really make this piece, uh, or this, the piece was, is and was, um, a, a story about let's actually look at what the future could look like if things go poorly. Uh, and and if we do have to take some drastic action, and and where will we be then? And I think accepting that that's actually a possibility in, uh, can act to encourage us to act now. Uh, and so that's the basic premise. So, yeah, so we'll leave it there for now. And then I uh, I have a bit of a holiday uh, tradition here on the Green Majority, which I'll remind you people just because it's been really been impressing me is now technically going to be uh, over 10 years for the show and we're now going to be going into my 10th year so i oh, started wow. to uh, the show started 2006 i started 2007 so we're getting into my uh decade what do you call that i don't know there's a what's there's a 10 year anniversary i don't know yeah ten, i think 10 year anniversary yeah but there's like a diamond or something for it I don't oh know. really for diamond is 40 i don't know whatever <laughs> uh but uh, so in the last section what we're going to do a bit of a tradition here which is i play carl sagan but uh, i've actually played pale dude blue dot recently and in in the last six months uh so i went and i found some non my normal clip to play because i feel like most listeners have heard that if you haven't go download it but we're going to listen to something else today so i have two other good clips from uh carl sagan today which are relevant to uh i think very much relevant to today 
today, even though in the pieces you'll hear references to to political stuff that obviously dates it as much <laughs> a long time ago. Uh, I think it's relevant. And then if we if we decide we want to, I also pulled up because we never ended up playing it, but. Um, uh, 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 Leo DiCaprio's speech to the United mm. Nations. It's about three minutes long. It was really well written, and I think we talked about it at the time. I don't think we ever played it, so if we're, if we're running shy on time, we may end up getting to that as well. It was really good. It's only like three minutes, so. Uh, but for starters, there's a couple. We're just going to get through sort of the uh, the the news here. There's not. Uh, there's not really a lot of deep investigative reporting, I think, on, on this other than just sort of some things to note for this week, and then um, we will uh, uh, post all the links as we usually do to go and read up on it. Um, and a lot of it is sort of like just sort of, well, here's the tip of the iceberg. The real story hasn't sort of settled out yet. So I think in addition to the fact that we're both just sort of overloaded this week, uh, I don't think there's a lot that can really be firmly said about any of these things just yet. So I think like I think that's appropriate. So uh, the first one I wanted to cover as well is, that, of course, uh, our friends over at the National Observer are continuing to do their excellent work. And, uh, of course, Mike D'Souza specifically, who's uh, who uh, I'm a big fan of, uh, particularly over there, uh, uh, writing about uh, how Norwegians, uh, uh, I believe it's actually national oil company stat oil um is selling off um uh its investments with uh, basically tar sands operations they're worth about uh they're basically going to swallow about a 550 million dollar loss the uh it, it's a contract worth somewhere closer to a billion dollars in the 800 million 830 million something like that uh, uh deal uh, this has uh wide-ranging implications because of course um uh, they were part of a multi-party contract to put oil through the recently approved uh, by Justin Trudeau anyway, um, Kinder Morgan pipeline. Uh, now, this isn't some like, haha, we got them because like they're just selling the leases. Other people will buy the leases. So there's not there's nothing sort of like from a like, you know letters from the frontline uh resistance type thing. There's no big news here, I think, because uh but I think from the more like the way the world is going, especially in the climate where we are now, and we'll be getting to this in a minute, sort of now forcibly having to talk about, you know, people like Rex Tillerson being uh, in the State Department and stuff like that. Um, it's interesting to watch sort of other countries and, and large companies sort of like how to play the field now. Um, and I find it really interesting because a lot of people were basically like, oh, okay, now, you know, oil is great. You know, oil is going to be great for the next while. America has so much influence. Uh, it's going to cut, uh, it's going to cut out all really, uh, cover for other comp countries that were maybe on the line. Canada being an excellent example of like, oh, we've got all this oil, but we feel, you know, we feel really guilty or we're forced to pretend like we're really, you know, reluctantly digging it up. It's just, oh, gee, gosh, gee, willikers, what are we going to do? It's just so valuable. Uh, to be like, oh, okay, well, now there's literally like, well, now we, if we didn't do it, we would be the only ones not cashing in. And that's just foolish. And so, you know, so there's a lot of fear that this is sort of, you know, this is sort of the final, um, the final death knell in actually taking any sort of climate action, because it will provide all people who, you know, all the governments who are looking for excuses, a really wonderful excuse to do nothing and to sort of go full steam ahead and do that. Well, it's like, all right, well, as long as we're at a buffet running out of food, I might as well eat as much as I can sort of thing. Um, so, but so from that sort of point of view, it's sort of it's it's a reminder, I think, that it, not everything is uh, politics, and markets are not simple, um, and that um, this is still a very fluid situation, uh, pun intended in that <laughs> case. Uh, so we'll keep an eye on that. That's all we're, I'm really going to say about that for now. Just to let you know that it happened, um, you can do some reading up on that. It is a fairly big deal. I think a lot of people were surprised uh, that this went ahead, but there is a lot of there's a lot more to the story um, from an economic and business point of view, uh, and there uh, the story is also not done. So I think for now we'll just put a uh, we'll just put a pin in that there. Uh, the next thing I wanted to mention really quickly was uh, there was a senator report um, on pipelines uh, calling for the NEB to be modernized and depoliticized. Uh, this of course uh, uh, in Canada. Uh, and um, what's really interesting here as well is that is just to note um, that sort of there is some understand there is really critical understanding here um, that the NEB is flawed. Um, and I think that I'm going to do something that the article here, this article is actually from CBC. Uh, the article did not do, uh, which is even though they have a picture of protesters uh, as the image for the article. Uh, don't really make any mention. I'm, f I'm fairly certain zero mention um, at all of the impact of this being uh, at being as a result of activism and the fact that it, you know, uh, and, you know, whether we want to talk about that in the terms of things that aren't activism, but get labeled as activism, which is like actual journalism done by people like what I just mentioned, Mike D'Souza and, and our friends over at the National Observer, um, 
you know, that gets framed as activism because it sort of disrupts the status quo and it's it's holding powerful people to account. What other normal people might call journalism <laughs> um, or, you know, activism as in, you know, protests and, and writing letters and showing up to meetings and, and doing all that stuff like traditional activism or actual activism, you might say. Um the effect on that and so the reason i i find that really interesting because a because they use the picture and don't mention it as as a factor uh, or if it is it's sort of it's you know really offhandly mentioned in passing um is because the ultimate point of the report seems to be that the problem is is that there's a loss of faith in the thing and i say great yes there is a loss of faith i have zero faith in the national energy board uh, and they're like well we're going to be replacing all the people that step down because of you know this massive corruption problem we have at the NEB. great uh because you know really you know you know, it, the point is, is that people, Canadians need to have confidence so that when the NEB approves pipelines, they know that it's gone. Th- and it's like, oh, my God, no. <laughs> so there's still we still have this problem. So it's it's and, and this, I think, is is really just is is a is a microcosm of a larger problem uh, with my, a larger indication of my problem with the Trudeau government, which is that their largest thing seems to be it's not about what policy you go for. It's about what you think people are going to think about those policies. And in some areas, there are legitimate, as we've talked about on the show, in some areas, there's legitimately good things going ahead. I'm thrilled that, you know, coal and all that stuff, there's good stuff there, but there's a whole lot of bad stuff mixed in there. And the the rhyme or reason to it seems to be what do we think we can sell, not what actually makes sense in light of the evidence. And that's always been my uh, complaint here. And so when I read things like this about, well, oh, you know, really the problem is that it's that there's a branding problem and that we need to renew faith, the Canadians' faith in this institution or or in this body uh, such that when they approve a pipeline that, you know, they they go, oh, well, I know that that's been approved under the tightest strictest controls. It's just just fundamentally misunderstanding the problem. And and it tells me that no lessons have been learned here. Do you want to comment on that, Sam? Yeah, I was just going to jump in and and to to, do, to comment on both, actually, because I think the one thing about uh, Norway's Statoil uh, retreat re- retreat from the from the tar sands uh, shows that there is at least a ongoing problem. It, it, what's interesting about this is, that, is to go back to the approving all these pipelines outside of a uh, of, of a environmental argument uh, against sort of building all this infrastructure. Uh, what Norway's done here, what Exxon did uh, a few weeks ago that we reported on when they, when, they, when they admitted that perhaps some might end up being stranded, uh, some of their assets might end up being stranded, um, and, and a general feeling around, around what's the, the, the fact the price of oil has not gone up for, in, back to where it needs to be basically for this to make sense, um, and, and the consistent way that all this uh, – all that, that the – that more and more oil has come out has like has been has been unlocked, I guess you can say, uh, in Texas and North Dakota and other places. Uh, that right now we're seeing like a, in the flooding of the of the market with oil uh, is is going to be a consistent concern for the oil sands, regardless of of the environmental piece of this. And so, to be honest, there's a there's a there's a large like there's an as an economic fear, from my point of view as well, uh, of of what Canada could could end up what could end up happening to Canada if we if we invest too much in that in this in this resource that we can't stay on, and that the world is waking up to not being staying on. And, and I think I said this on a few shows earlier, but the amount of which I think China, if China decides to go off, to really go off oil, uh, and to and to really push uh, a lack of carbon here, um, I think you're. I think you're going to look at it. You you see an entirely different makeup of the world, which which Canada is not going to be sitting in a good place for. And so I think that's what makes this sort of you know whenever a the Senate comes out and says, well, we need a new energy board. Of course, yes, we do. But again, if we're not going to have a, a real conversation about this, if we're not going to really have a conversation that says that talks about the sort of that like whenever you're even discussing with someone else. Um, uh, about anything, the goal is to first find your your presuppositions. Make sure you agree on presuppositions, and then have a conversation. And I feel like the reason why the Energy Board has not received uh, the same has not received much love from the uh, from the uh, from the you know from you or I and I or, or much of the populace, it's because there's a fundamental disconnect of the conversation that they are having and the ones that needs with that the citizens around them are having. 
um, the citizens around them have, are not having the conversation. How is the best way to approve these pipelines? The conversation the citizens are having is: Should we approve these pipelines? And so the and the presuppositions there are: Well, okay, let's presume that we are going to get off oil like we need to. Um, because we have to get to a zero carbon future, uh, and let's presupp- presuppose that that th- that fact means that we can't build forty year oil infrastructure, or even that we should at least discuss that fa- the fact that we won't need this infrastructure in forty years as a part of this conversation. Like no one even talks about who's who would theoretically pay to say remove the pipelines, um, because that's not even fathomable. The idea that we'd ever remove the pipelines uh, is is not even discussed, uh, despite the fact that you know at, at some point there's a good chance that a lot of these oil pipelines will be not used. Uh, you know, it, there still will have to be there's still many other uses for oil, uh, and we actually had this conversation maybe a year or two ago with Kevin Farmer about the conversation of is oil still marketable as a as a for all of the other things we use it for if we're not burning it. And I still have not fully been able to figure out and answer that question. Uh, I had a I had a couple of conversations recently uh, around that, and even people who are sort of more into the more into the head of that doesn't. It's it's very very difficult to parse that out uh, to to actually understand whether or not we can uh, how more much more expensive oil would be if we're doing that. Yeah, and I think one of the. Uh, <sighs> Uh, part of that, so I mean, I, I went on a rant on the on the bonus show. For those of you who uh, who are not listening on the on the podcast, would have missed it. But if you uh, want to hear our extra thoughts and our slightly, sometimes, uh, occasionally more colorful thoughts, you could listen <laughs> to the podcast version of the show, which has an extended bit on it. But I, I went on a, a, on a big rant about this, about you know, uh, and I, I've done this a few times, but very specifically recently about uh, you know, well, you know, what what do I what do I expect Justin Trudeau to do? What what do I, what do I expect? And and uh, you know. What are your ideas, smart guy? Sort of yeah, response, right. which is which is often, uh, most often, sort of the types of responses that I get in email and on Twitter or, or whatever is, you know, either some nonsense denial of this or that, or some accusation of, you know, um, you know, oh, you're probably just a queer liberal, or whatever. And I say yes, um, but <laughs> um, anything else? Uh, but it's uh, it's it's a matter of like. So even on that one point, okay, so I, the, you caught me losing my train of thought there for a second, but I, I got it. So the point was, like, specifically on the pipelines, right? So mm. in the stat oil piece, they talk about how part of the deal and the reason why the deal was valued the way it was was based on a number of factors, but it was also based on the fact that the uh, the part that they were uh, owning, the part that was being sold uh, at current uh, pipeline infrastructure within the deals that were made, including the Kinder Morgan pipeline and elsewhere, um, was that there was 70-year supply left. In the in another story, uh, we're also talking about how, uh, despite this is what was really funny for me, despite two pipelines being approved, uh, the uh, the Trans Canada is now concerned that that will make it less likely that Energy East will get approved, and so they're now being like, no, 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 you really still need us too. Like, don't like that's not enough pipelines. More pipelines, build ours too. You really trust me. Has has there even been like this is a much smaller ask than I asked for before. What I was asking for was like you know a comprehensive review of of the science and how the policy lined up with the science, which I understand. I think makes obvious sense. I think any reasonable informed person would want that. But it's a large ask, especially a large ask to do at this late date, right? right. So here's an immediate thing which I think could be done immediately, and I think it's it is absolutely telling uh, if this is suggested and not done. Maybe maybe they just didn't think of it, uh, which would be shocking because they're in charge of the country. Uh, but w- okay, so let's say you go ahead. Let's say you approve all the pipelines and the market crashes. What happens to Canada's economy? Like, what is it? Not just like, oh, that's going to be bad. An actual like review, economists. Uh, what is the uh, what are the consequences of all these uh, the jobs? What are the environmental consequences? Uh, what are the land issues around like having these dilapidated pipelines that then have to be stripped down? How much is that going to cost? How much is the cleanup going to cost? What happens if you're wrong? I just want to know if someone's even thought about it. Like because the whole presentation, all these arguments, is that it's such a foregone conclusion that no one's even considered the idea that we might not be able to. D- to actually get 70 years out of oil despite the fact that there's 70 years of oil technically there. And I don't think anyone's even done that analysis. And that scares the crap out of me. Well, that's what's confusing to me, actually, is if you were, if you were going to tackle this problem of climate change, like a like if a company was going to tackle this problem of climate change uh, and they knew they had to do this, you know, they accepted the fact that the, their experts came in and said, you have to do this, you have to be zero carbon in 30 years or, you know, or very, very bad things will happen. Um, a company would go forward, 
take a 30-year understanding and work backwards to understand how to, you know, what, you know, okay, by by five years we need to be here, so in 10 years we're going to be here, so in 15 we can be here. You know, like you would solve any problem. It's, it's how people solve problems or one of the ways people solve problems is to work backwards. And I just don't see – and part of I think the problem with our short-sighted elector, our election system is that you, no one works backwards longer than four years. And so we don't have that long-term thinking and I don't see how any of these sort of any of these sort of plans or any of these pieces that we're doing um, make any sense with a, a backwards like like I can't imagine something that part of your thirty year plan to transition off oil is to build forty years of pipeline infrastructure like I just I just do not understand where in that transition to a carbon zero future is investing more in right now in in pipelines uh, it, it goes back to it goes back to my belief that I that I've been saying earlier that the Trudeau government currently would have been a solid, solid move in the early 90s. Oh, yeah. Like, the 2016 Trudeau is fantastic 1990s climate policy. Uh, and, you know, even even at that point, you can build a pipeline or two at that point. You have 40 years. Uh, we just don't now. And so it's this entire differently different piece that we're sitting in. And I just don't understand... Well, I do understand why they're doing it. It's because it's they, you know, they have to they have to get elected every four years. But every 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 government uh, that actually know, sees itself being in power in thirty years, uh, which you know are never very good governments because there's no democracy. They're, they're not free. They're free Saudi cities. Arabia doesn't have a functioning democracy, right. and they're investing heavily in renewable energy. They're putting hundreds of billions of dollars well, into exactly. renewable and energy because it's a and the person doing that is like a, is a, is to my knowledge a, one of the younger people in the royal family, and so they see themselves actually having to run Saudi Arabia in thirty years. Yeah, I'm going to be in charge, and and it's their money. I mean, if they do, if they don't, it's like they're they're in the position of making all the decisions, and they like it's the ultimate conflict of interest. But it also puts them in the in the position of having the most interest, right? Like in, in our system, it's, it's, it's favor trading, right? So I'm going to help you tomorrow. You'll help me the day after that. But neither of us is really going to have to deal with either of these consequences because, you know, you'll be – you'll have taken your golden parachute and I'm going to be in my, you know, government paid for, uh, you know, uh, address and guarded by whatever. And, you know, by the, by the time anything happens, neither of us will – it will matter to either of us personally. And we can just go, whoops, yeah, sorry, my bad. But, yeah, the Saudi princes are like, no, no, that's my money. I'm the, I have power to control my own future's investments and the writing is on the wall here. And those are the people that we should be looking to for the most – honest assessment it doesn't matter that they're i'm not saying they're great leaders i think a lot of them are terrible people some of them are probably fine but based on the laws that i know about in saudi arabia it sounds like a pretty you know they have the government is pretty terrible i'm not obviously nothing against you know the people of any country but their government's pretty sounds pretty horrifying um you know uh but you're going to get some honesty from them, and their honesty is is invest as heavily as possibly as you can in renewable energy. Well, yeah, that's what's like they legit. See, what's interesting is that is both a Saudi Arabia is both an oil company uh, that actually under, that, that 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 understands that is being honest with its future, and also a country that's being honest with its future uh, because because in that they. You know they're using their wealth that they have now to 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 work on this transition. And like if you, in reality, they actually are like they are taking this much more seriously in a particular way. Again, they aren't doing a lot of some other stuff, but in, in a particular way, they at least you are looking thirty years ahead and working back in a way that we don't see like. Shell and Exxon and these oil companies, when they release their shareholder reports that say, yes, we'll still have uh, the same amount of oil production in 40 years, when Saudi Arabia doesn't even believe that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and so like, it's, 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 I think these are the places that are examples of what re- understanding reality looks like. All right, so we we got to go to for break. We're a little bit over time. We'll come back. We may we may talk a little bit more about this, but we're going to play Stefan's story as well and a few other things. You're listening to the Green Majority here on the uh, uh, slightly holiday season <laughs> edition of the uh, the Green Majority, CIUT 89.5 FM, or one of our wonderful and very appreciated community radio partners, National Observer, Rabble.ca, and all of the other uh, f- folks that are nice to us. You know how it is. <laughs> we'll be right back. We're going to listen to some Arsene Kid Fire, and we'll be back in two minutes. <laughs> 
All right. We are back. You're listening to The Green Majority here on CIUT 89.5 FM or one of our wonderful radio community partners. Uh, as I said, National Observer, Rabble.ca as well. Or you could be listening on The Green Majority's own, very own, Pride and Joy, our own podcast, which has some bonus content on there as well. You can check that out as well as all the links to the stories that we cover on our show any other weird videos or anything else that we play, including the music as well, even if you're not hearing it because we have to cut it out for the podcast uh, versions as well. You can find those on the podcast uh, on the webpage as well, which is all greenmajority.ca. Uh, but without further delay, Stefan, you're going to introduce uh, what we're going to listen to next, which is recording of you. Yeah, exactly. It's going to sound it's – it's also – I should uh – paraphrase that it's kind of also just like an alternate future um in that it's all it's about a community radio show host um and so the but yeah so the the, the, the what where I, I wrote the story for a a, a toronto-based storytelling event called tales from the black and tales from the black is uh the way they describe it is it's a true uh it's a true storytelling uh it's a true storytelling uh event uh, in the st- in that is in that it's in the style of true storytelling, you know the, the way the moth or any of other storytelling events that exist in the city uh, are like, but it's all horror, sci-fi, or fantasy, uh, and so it's this fascinating combination of these two different things, and. And what happened was I got I I, I went to, I, ha- I stumbled on the show once and it was it was fantastic and I at some point I was talking to the to the host of the show or one of the co-producers of the show Colin Munch and he was explaining to me that the way he wrote his pieces was that he would find a kernel of truth and then uh, and then and then explore that kernel of truth in this in this in in in, in some sort of fictional way and so in this story. Um, and maybe we'll play it and then I'll come back and I'll, I'll, I'll sort of give a brief explanation of the world that in my mind it exists in uh, because it's not it's, – it's, it's, you know, rel- it becomes mildly more clear in the story, as the story goes on. But I don't want to like steal my own thunder. Uh, but I think there's at least a bit of interesting conversation to be had about that. So why don't we just go right to the story and we'll come back and we'll talk briefly about that. They say you hold your tension in your chest. But I've always felt it in my hands. You know, they kind of tingle, shake, hurt. It (laughs) makes it almost impossible to hold a cigarette. God, I can't believe I smoke. Uh, I never thought that I would. I, I told everybody that I wouldn't because, you know, they used to say that it was bad for you. Now, nobody cares. Welcome to the show, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in to Monarch News Radio, the only station you need. Uh, this, of course, is 10 The Ent News Network. I'm your host, Scott Bruges, and Kel K remains on hiatus. Now, before I get into our top story, uh, I need to address some rumors uh, that this will be my last show. The rumors are true. Uh, now, I won't, I won't comment as to all the things I've written online about why this might be the case, but uh, um, I will say that I wanted to die behind this microphone. It was the last thing uh, that I had, and they've taken it from me. But the show must go on. So, our top news story is that there is rain on the horizon. <laughs> now, about a pro- the forecasters predict approximately two to three inches, so make sure you get your barrels on top of your hoods and clamp them down. Or don't. I mean... What do I care? I've been saying I told you so for the last 30 years and it hasn't done a single thing for the thirst. But uh, because of this rain and to maximize moisture, uh, I have been informed that they plan to divert uh, the migration approximately 9 degrees westward. This will delay our arrival to the Austin Cache by approximately 18 hours. So prepare your rations accordingly. Now, um, 
this, of course, is in line uh, with their previous and consistent goals to prioritize the needs of the elites, uh, because you know, you know, you and I probably don't actually have 18 hours of rations left, but you know, rain and water rations must be preserved regardless of who goes hungry. Uh, a follow-up on our last week's top story. Uh, we have regained contact with Lethbridge. Uh, they appeared to have some sort of mechanical failure, uh, but will we join the migration approximately middle of next week? Now, uh, let's take a quick musical break uh, before we jump back into the mailbag section of the show, so get those tweets in now. 30 years, Ken. 30 years. You, know, you make one too many jokes about dying from dysentery, and they take your entire career. 30 years of community radio experience. Down the drain. Yeah. Let's bring it back. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Uh, thank you for listening each and every week. This, of course, is the mailbag section of the show, uh, where you tweet and I bring the heat. So, first up, <laughs> let, me, uh, let me find your first questions here. Da -da. Should have opened Twitter before I began this conversation, but still. Uh, Naresh from Oakland asks, without your show, what are you going to do now? Huh. Naresh, seriously? Really cut to the quick. I don't know. Probably start drinking earlier in the day. I mean, who asks that? Next question. Uh, Sam uh, from Lower Baltimore asks, will 10 have a new host? Come on, I'm not even out the door. No, Sam, 10 will not have a new host. You know, when I started this show, I've been... I was here 30 years ago warning about the dangers of emissions and then the dangers of engineering. But would anyone listen to me? No. We, we knew what the sulfur would do. We knew what the sulfur would do. But they didn't listen. We knew what it affect rainfall. When I started this show, we were still CJRM 93.7, and you could fall asleep and wake up to the same goddamn horizon. So what I guess I am trying to say, Sam, is no. Ken will not have a new host. Now, they may, they may try to convince you otherwise, uh, but I am this show. Next question. All right, we got uh, Sumal from Vancouver. All right. Uh, Dear Scott, I've been a fan of yours for the past five years. I've even gone back to li and listened to your archives. Since this is your... Oh, sorry, it got cut off. Uh, no, of course, uh, I appreciate praise as much as possible. It's going to be only 140 characters. It's still Twitter, so uh, let me try to find the rest of this. Uh, okay, there it is. Uh, so Sumal from Vancouver again. Uh, since this is your last show, uh, I was hoping you could answer uh, uh, something that's always confused me. What happened to Kel? Uh, thanks. Thanks, Small. Um, so, uh, for those who aren't long-term listeners to the show, uh, Kelly K uh, was a friend of the show. Uh, relatively uh, consistent host for a while who yeah. I still can't 
believe that I smoke. It, to be honest, it kind of feels like my, my body uh, doesn't either, because my hands tingle. They made a mistake. Okay, um, Kel was no longer... Uh, no longer acceptable, or no one could no longer handle just being a storyteller. Uh, they were no longer comfortable just being the narrator. They had to be the hero of of this story. And you know, I can't blame them. Uh, it gets lonely here behind the mic, shouting into the void. And so they left. That's it. Ken, do we have any do we have any Advil? My my hands. They were taken from us, from me. <laughs> Last time I, I saw them, uh it was on the, the day of the March of the Land. It was the last major protest before the migrations began in earnest. And they basically kicked down my apartment door, burst in uh, with their bullhorn in one hand uh, and wearing their smash the patriarchy tank top. And they, they wanted to know if I would, I would go with them. But no, I don't, I don't like crowds. Um, and you know, the live stream was actually pretty great. Uh, so I, I told them I would support at home. And in the live stream, you could see them. You could see them directly in the middle of these protests with their bullhorn in the air uh, leading these chants. You know, we're going to rise like the water. We're going to calm this crisis down. Uh, I hear the voice of my great-granddaughter saying, down with monarchs now. Uh, but of course, you know, better because there's more of them. And... <laughs> They just looked so happy. And so when the migrations began in earnest, uh, they stayed. I tried to convince them not to, but they stayed. Um, and they, they stayed in the legislature uh, of Toronto, and, and they began to irrigate Queen's Park. They actually had this, this whole setup. They were, they were growing tomatoes, and I would receive these emails back and forth uh, about how well they were doing. But by the time the migrations returned for the next rainy season, the emails had stopped. And so I went looking for them. I went, I went to legislature, and it was, and it was closed, uh, and it was, it was gutted. No one was there. I went to the Queen's Park, and, and the trees had been torn down. There's garbage everywhere, and there's no signs of anybody. Uh, and so I, I texted them. I, I messaged them. I, I tweeted at them, even, uh, to no response. And I had I'd almost given up hope. Almost. Uh, until I received an email. Congratulate Kelly Kay on her new position. LinkedIn? It took LinkedIn to let me know you were alive? I know, I'm sorry about the swearing. They, they work for them now, uh, somewhere in the federal land liaison's office or something. They, they cut their hair. Next question. What? Time? Already? No. Okay, 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 okay. okay. Well, um... Then I guess from, from all of us uh, here at 10, old and, and new, thank you and goodbye. All right, so we are back in case anyone tuned in during that, just so you're not confused. That was uh, uh, the actual host of The Greed and Majority, uh, one of the hosts, uh, Stefan Hossetter, but reading a fictitious story, just so you're not uh, completely yes, this, this confused. This is not my last show. 
Yes. Uh, so, uh, and also, and I and I want to uh, explore some uh, some thoughts about some of that stuff as well. But we're we are as well already right up against the next music break. So I just want to say really quickly, we'll, we'll come back and talk about it in a minute. But just uh, in case someone did tune in during that, why why we were playing that, what it was for, was that. Uh, you were obviously doing that in a, in a creative storytelling environment, and uh, and uh, so that was uh, sort of a bit of a performance piece as well. Uh, but also, I mean, just the idea that like a lot of the things on there, like you were mentioning a lot of themes about, uh, you know, the idea of like, uh, and a lot of it was obviously implied because you were giving sort of a snippet view, but the idea of like, you know, uh, humanity actually having to like slowly rotate around to follow weather that was habitable and things like that um, are not crazy things. These are things that are you know predicted in worst case scenario but we're we're doing all the things that put us in the direction of worst case scenario and so i mean a lot of the the idea that that could in fact be a real future broadcast uh obviously <coughs> excuse me with some of the you know sarcasm and and silly bits in aside but yeah i mean that's that could be a real thing and i think that's that's why you did that and so maybe what we'll do is um uh, if you want to just comment really quickly while i get our music break organized here about why what you were feeling when you did that and what the purpose of that was and then yeah. we'll we'll go to our break, second yeah break. yeah the point is in part like I, I, the point in part really covers uh what we're talking about when we're when we're looking at um like the sulfur sulfur happening uh sulfur in the uh in this uh, like Pumping a bunch of sulfur in the atmosphere would ca- is, is, does cause, uh, or they, as much as they can figure out from history, uh, there's not actually a ton of of, to- of, of moments that, that that we've sent a bunch of sulfur in the atmosphere. The closest is actually some volcanoes uh, that have erupted, um, but it dramatically affects rainfall, and it affects rainfall in some weird uh, and uh, un unideal ways shall we say uh again from the from the what they can understand from the from from the couple times it's really happened so that's part of what was in this was it was this idea that like no uh if we do go the geoengineering route we don't know what will actually happen and like yes it will keep us from getting maybe like you know 10 degrees of warming but it will have some serious serious impacts that could lead us to you know a completely different life and that if that life is this like the idea the, the, so the, the story itself is called um is called um uh is called the migration uh, we're all monarchs now uh and and, and the sort of the, the the people running this thing are called monarchs in the in the story uh because the idea is that we humans become migrating creatures right mm. that we are we are like monarchs we we migrate north and then south and then north and then south uh as in search of sort of uh, our life so that's part of the like it's a sort of like a this could you know like this particular future uh who knows it, it, like you know is 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 obviously fictionalized and not the most likely uh but part of this is like well let's actually envision a different world yeah, it's not. It's not a matter of that's absolutely what we're going to get. It's no, a matter yes. of acknowledge that that is on the table. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. All right. So let's go to our second and final music break here on the show. We'll come back and uh, I, I'm going to. Uh, we may talk about that a tiny bit more, and I'm going to play some Carl Sagan. We'll have a very zen and uh, mm-hmm. very relaxing, and I think very uplifting. I always get so uh, full, filled with uh, joy and hope when I listen to Carl Sagan. So hopefully we'll we'll end you with that this week as well. But very quickly, here is uh, Versa as well with uh, Sapphire. And uh, just as a reminder, Versa is the band of our uh, probably can't come for a little while, but we like them anyway, uh, Alex Tech <laughs> as well, or one of our normal uh, techs for the show as well. This is his band. So we'll be right back after listening to Sapphire by Versa. All right, we are back. We're going to keep it nice and tight now because we're we're running over time as it. We're already on our normal schedule, but that's what happens when we don't have a uh, fully flushed out uh, show plan. It makes the shows that we're where we're organized look so much better if we just do this once in a while. That's the that's the real goal. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I'm going to get right to it because I I just really want to play this and I'm really worried about running out of time. So I have a three minute piece uh, here by Carl Sagan. I have a second one as well uh, if we have time for it. But I would like to play this and then we will have a comment on it. So this is a uh, short clip. I believe this is actually from the Cosmos series um, <clears throat> or was around that time. But this is uh, my personal hero. In fact, I have a tattoo on my arm of a quote by Carl Sagan because I'm that big a fan. <laughs> I'm so nerdy. Actually, my mom was like not super thrilled about tattoos, and then I told her what it was, and she's like, oh, okay, that's all right. <laughs> so, it's mom-approved tattoo. Mom-approved tattoo. All I'm right. not putting that on my dating profile. <laughs> all right, we're going we're gonna to go ahead. I'm just going to play right now. As I said, it's just three minutes, um, and I think some very, um, some very impactful thoughts and words, and then we will come back and, and jam on that a couple, for a couple minutes when we come back. So you're listening to The Green Majority, about to listen to three minutes of Carl Sagan, and we'll be back right after that. We were hunters and 
If I can manage to turn off the music before I try and play the audio clip, that is. Hold Although it did, I, I feel like maybe we're just trying to do a whole new thing, right? We've got <laughs> these both. It's like Carl Sagan had some sort of audio element to it. We're just adding in Versa to it now. Yeah, it was. A, yeah, we'll double layer it. All right, <laughs> second try. We were hunters and foragers. The frontier was everywhere. We were bounded only by the earth and the ocean and the sky. The open road still softly calls. Our little terraqueous globe is the madhouse of those hundred thousand millions of worlds. We who cannot even put our own planetary home in order, riven with rivalries and hatreds, are we to venture out into space? By the time we're ready to settle even the nearest other planetary systems, we will have changed. The simple passage of so many generations will have changed us. Necessity will have changed us. We're an adaptable species. It will not be we who reach Alpha Centauri and the other nearby stars. It will be a species very like us, but with more of our strengths and fewer of our weaknesses, more confident, far-seeing, capable, and prudent. For all our failings, despite our limitations and fallibilities, we humans are capable of greatness. What new wonders, undreamt of in our time, will we have wrought in another generation, and another? How far will our nomadic species have wandered by the end of the next century and the next millennium? Our remote descendants, safely arrayed on many worlds through the solar system and beyond, will be unified by their common heritage, by their regard for their home planet, and by the knowledge that whatever other life may be, the only humans in all the universe come from Earth. They will gaze up and strain to find the blue dot in their skies. They will marvel at how vulnerable the repository of all our potential once was, how perilous our infancy, how humble our beginnings. How many rivers we had to cross before we found our way. All right, so we are back. That was my personal hero, Carl Sagan, of course, uh, with his notoriously chilling, um, chillingly soothing, I think, and reassuring uh, voice uh, and words of wisdom and words of beauty as well. He was as much, I think, a, a, an under underrated as a poet in addition to being um <clears throat> i think very accurately rated as an as an exceptional scientist as well and i generally like i'll go and <clears throat> i'll go and just like ghoul random carl sagan things even him like he most of his videos aren't you know i have to search a little bit to find ones that are sort of appropriate for the for the to play on the show uh but i mean even listening to his video where he explains like how to how to basically comprehend fourth and fifth dimensional space and stuff like that just like soothing it's it's this reassurance that things that are scary and terrifying and and hard to understand can in fact be understood and quite easily if we all just sort of breathe together and think it through. And uh, I sort of just decided actually while listening to that, Stefan, I hope you'll uh, prove that I think we'll call today's show um, the ghosts of the future or something like ah, that. Ah, nice. Um, the ghost of a future path. Future ghosts <laughs> yes, or yeah. something like that. You know, just because like I think about that a lot too and I think about, you know, so one of the things I was thinking about uh, as well is that, you know, we talk a lot about um, – you know this this idea of this sort of military World War Two. That's the that's one of the standard uh, things, and I think it's very very accurate. So I don't mean to, to to dissuade you of this notion at all. But that turn of phrase, I think, which is often used of the you know we need a sort of World War Two level mobilization to describe the you know complete overhaul of in the, usually it's done to refer to the you know the American uh, basically when America decided to enter the war they did basically completely overhauled their entire national infrastructure to basically become a giant war machine 
overnight and thank goodness they did because they contributed as as obviously not completely responsible for but contributed greatly to the defeat of uh the nazi regime uh, from taking over the earth um and but what i think about too sometimes is and but the thought i hadn't had until just now when i was just listening to carl sagan as well talk about you know a, a species very much like us but the the idea that we're constantly in 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 motion is the you know and you were you were saying earlier about your sort of your your dread and your you know, not liking to look at it in this fear. And I think it's, it's, it's different, you know, when we're talking about that, um, because it's like the, the, the fear of future, it's the anxiety of what may be and what you're afraid might happen, but hasn't yet happened. Um, you know, the impacts and the implications of these things. So it creates a very different type of stress, but I think it's useful to, um, draw that comparison a little farther, which was, you know, to think of the, courage and in some cases just fear and fear without courage uh, because it was very hard to be courageous in these circumstances of people essentially being conscripted and shuffled into boats and flung like you know so much uh, uh, shotgun shrapnel at each other on the battlefield of you know people who actually had to be in these in these world war one and world war two uh, you know battlefields world war one of course being much much more of a case of just sort of like you know everybody line up all your soldiers and whoever you know whoever soldiers fall down slower uh, basically one. Um, but I mean, that's sort of this idea that in the most hopeless sense, like trying to imagine what it would be like to be like in the trench, you know, of, of, you know, world war two or world war one or any of these major things where it literally seemed like this must be the end of the world. Mm. And just enough people didn't let that defeat them that the day was won. Um, and I think that's very, you know, qu- unequivocally in not even close to the cause of this anxiety but i think a very similar type of anxiety except that it, with the only categorical difference is that we're essentially wincing from this being in the future um but i th- but i think and the reason i mention that is just that you know the day if if that day could be one then so can this one and uh and it, it was like well it's never been so perilous well i don't know i think it maybe it has uh and the other clip if we have time for it i don't think we will but the other clip maybe I'll, you know what i'll play it in the bonus show mm. uh the other clip uh as well which is a, a clip by carl sagan called who speaks for the earth um very refers back to is 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 being it was a poem essentially he wrote while the cold war was still on and that was sort of what i was talking about uh but a lot of the themes carry true a bit then you know, we go th- through these cycles, and that doesn't mean relax. That means that we all have to mobilize. But if we do that, it, the day can be won, and, and we can make it through these these struggles that seem um, to tear the world apart. Um, you know, if not now, then later. <laughs> um, and th- I don't mean that as like a I don't I don't even mean that as like a vague just sort of like don't hang in there. You know, have hope. But it's a no no. Hope isn't good enough. You need to do stuff. Uh, sort of thing, and hope maybe motivate you to do stuff, but hope on its own is not gonna, gonna not gonna win the war, and it's not gonna win this. Uh, this I think the battle against knowledge and battle against uh, being able to actually be a functional society that plans for its own future, uh, which I would summarize as a battle against knowledge. Uh, it's it's the battle of I don't like that idea, therefore I insert that it just doesn't exist. And uh, that is currently the war that we're fighting. It's even bigger. It's even more insidious and even more far-reaching, I think, than the specific battle on climate, which is simply the battle against personal preference. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've only got two minutes left, uh, Stefan. I'd like to give you the final word here. Yeah, uh, I think it was funny. I saw this uh, this this tweet um, which the other day, which was basically just read, uh, parents say that they'll do anything for the kids. Scientists then respond, okay, here's what you have to do with cl- about climate change. Parents, nah. Because to some extent, that's what we're doing, right? Um, and and I think I think that's the power or the use of uh, of of fiction, right? We did it like I, you know the the middle side of the show uh, was was a dystopian sort of view, uh, and then so the sort of Carl Sagan piece is more of a utopian view. Uh, but I think more often than not, this sort of converse, this fiction, uh, this conversation about possible futures is what allows you to buy in to uh to making it a reality you know if 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 you can if you can view it you can make it happen uh and i think the more people who are going out there and trying to show the different ways that they see the future working uh and are are trying to represent that to to the to people in a way that's interesting and engaging uh, i think that's that's ultimately what what can save us to some extent. You know, I think like I think these sort of this, this, the Carl Sagan sort of uh, discussion that it encourages people to start thinking about 
the world in another way uh, is important because I think you need that entertainment value or you need that value of I'm going to pay attention, uh, which – which which draws because that was what draws people in who aren't drawn in by you know just just the the, the science the science talk uh, because that's the we it, because there, think about how many people like Star Wars and imagine if all the people who like Star Wars gave as much of a, a, a has has if they cared as much about Star or as much about solving climate change as they did Star Wars. Think about the movement we could create. I care exactly the same amount. About well, Star there we Wars go. Yeah, exactly. And I think uh, that's a very healthy place. Yeah, to that um, uh, but that's it, right? It's like all these people out there who want to see a better, uh, a different, or a, a, a bigger world. Uh, let's let's let, let's let them see it. All right, we got the other clip and more on the bonus show, but that's it for the regular program. Thank you for listening to the Green Majority here on CIT eighty nine point five FM, and we will be back next week believe it or not with another show 52 weeks 52 shows here on the green majority see you next week folks unless you're listening to the bonus show and then we'll be right back all right that's it for our regular program this week we're going to have a uh, very abbreviated bonus show this week unfortunately because at the last minute stefan actually had to run away so i just actually play that last clip about carl sagan and then uh, and then i do some musing about maybe uh, where we're at in this world where we're about to enter 2017 and have to deal with the reality of the nightmarish seeming and probably accurate uh, Donald Trump as president and uh, what happens now. Uh, so I give a few personal thoughts on that in the bonus show. Uh, reminder, if you do appreciate our program, uh, that you can uh, you can show us that in many ways. Some of it is sharing our content. You can write us an email. We love that. But of course, there's always becoming a member with us. You can do that at greenmajority.ca or patron p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash green majority and sign up and be a member thanks for listening all right and welcome to the green majority bonus show it is actually just me today because stefan uh, ended up having to run away so we're gonna have a really brief uh, bonus show i just really wanted to play that second uh, carl sagan clip again it's just a couple of minutes uh, but he brings up, I think, some some really interesting and and uh, perhaps uh, a little bit unnerving comparisons because he's talking about uh, obviously during the uh, the Cold War, and I think some of these ideas uh, carry forward now, and and especially because of the just absolutely mind blowing, like lunatic, crazy uh, picks that uh, Donald Trump is appears to be. Uh, picking, we didn't uh, we didn't end up getting into the Rex Tillerson thing, but I'll I'll just talk about that briefly afterwards as as well. Some of my theories about uh, what maybe is going to happen next year uh, when we all start having to actually deal with this for real and not just read about it. Um, but for now, let's just play that again. We're just going to be very short today. I'm just going to play that clip and I'll come back and just share a couple of thoughts about it, and uh, and then we'll uh, we'll let you get back to your Christmas shopping. So just uh, stay tuned here one minute. We're going to listen to a couple of minutes of Carl Sagan talking about who speaks for the Earth. The global balance of terror pioneered by the United States and the Soviet Union holds hostage all the citizens of the Earth. Each side persistently probes the limits of the other's tolerance, like the Cuban Missile Crisis, the testing of anti-satellite weapons, the Vietnam and Afghanistan wars. The hostile military establishments are locked in some ghastly mutual embrace. Each needs the other. But the balance of terror is a delicate balance with very little margin for miscalculation. And the world impoverishes itself by spending a trillion dollars a year on preparations for war and by employing perhaps half the scientists and high technologists on the planet in military endeavors. How would we explain all this to a dispassionate extraterrestrial observer? What account would we give of our stewardship of the planet Earth? We have heard the rationales offered by the superpowers. We know who speaks for the nations. But who speaks for the human species? Who speaks for Earth? From an extraterrestrial perspective, our global civilization is clearly on the edge of failure in the most important task it faces, preserving the lives and well-being of its citizens and the future habitability of the planet. But if we're willing to live with the growing likelihood of nuclear war, shouldn't we also be willing to explore vigorously 
every possible means to prevent nuclear war? Shouldn't we consider in every nation major changes in the traditional ways of doing things, a fundamental restructuring of economic, political, social, and religious institutions? We've reached a point where there can be no more special interests or special cases. Nuclear arms threaten every person on the earth. Fundamental changes in society are sometimes labeled uh, impractical or contrary to human nature, as if nuclear war were practical or as if there were only one human nature. But fundamental changes can clearly be made. We're surrounded by them. In the last two centuries, abject slavery, which was with us for thousands of years, has almost entirely been eliminated in a stirring worldwide revolution. Women, systematically mistreated for millennia, are gradually gaining the political and economic power traditionally denied to them. And some wars of aggression have recently been stopped or curtailed because of a revulsion felt by the people in the aggressor nations. The old appeals to racial, sexual, and religious chauvinism and to rabid nationalist fervor are beginning not to work. A new consciousness is developing which sees the earth as a single organism and recognizes that an organism at war with itself is doomed. We are one planet. All right. And that was, of course, Carl Sagan uh, talking about uh, nuclear winter and nuclear wars and all that sort of stuff. But I think... What I really, what I really liked about that, a, I mean, a, it was interesting just to sort of to hear the 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 pressing concern of of only very recently uh, being different, uh, but a very le- same level of uh, I think a very comparable type uh, experience uh, in the sense of you know this this sense of impending dread of holding over the heads of of people as they go about their day and what are we going to do if this happens and it, you know it seems very certain well maybe maybe we'll prevent it oh no and then this thing happened and then maybe oh maybe we actually are all doomed and whatnot and of course there's a there's a, gra- a grain in there of the idea of you know maybe uh, that hope is not lost uh, no matter what uh, happens until until all is lost all is not lost sort of idea uh, I think a little bit of an idea that you know we've we've been through this before and, and made it a little bit but also I think what the the most important part and, and I think really the only thing I really wanted to say about it and then we'll just we'll just leave it there for this week because um, I don't have Stefan to argue with uh, is uh, just the idea that <laughs> excuse me <coughs> sorry about that uh, just the idea that um, you know, it it occurred to me when I was listening to that when I was when I was searching for clips that you know a lot of the time when we talk about any and we're guilty of this too because I think it's it, there's a very easy temptation to do this which is um, you know the idea that we we need massive changes and here's what I want those changes to be I mean if anything I might be the most guilty person of this ever um, you know and I think perhaps what maybe we should do some thinking about over the holidays and myself included. And I'll be, I'll be thinking about this and, and I encourage you to think about it as well and, and, and write into us if you have any thoughts about this um, is the idea that, you know, I think one of the, we've the idea of the, the, that the left sort of gets very caught up in the idea that, um, you know, here's all these things we want to do and we're the progressive left, but there's, it's really not cohesive and right. And, and one of the problems with sort of, with one of the, the stories that gets told in politics in a lot of countries across the world is, you know, generally speaking, progressive nations that have a generally, if you go down issue by issue, if you forget about politics and you forget about parties and you just people ask people issue by issue, you know, do what do you think about this? What do you think about that? What do you think about that? That generally speaking, the populations are very progressive, but you keep electing, uh, you know, barely middle of the road, uh, you know, uh, very centristy type left parties. And then that will swing back to either a centristy right party or a far right party. Uh, not extremely far right, but you know, somewhat far right, com- and especially far right compared to what if you just look like, how did this population elect this government? And there's, there's that problem of like, well, that the you know the quote unquote the right tends to be more of a voting block than quote unquote the left, and so you get this sort of fractured resistance against this more or less unified um, voting block. And I think, but I think if you get right down to it. All citizens, forgetting about those party lines, believe that some degree of fundamental change is necessary. But we never see this in our politics because the, that fundamental change is hard and people get caught up in what they want. And so the politicians sort of go around and like, OK, well, I've got enough people here to, to get elected if I promise these things. And they're very calculations based on issues. Um 
But if you just tallied up all the people that that desired fundamental change, far more fundamental change than is ever actually offered by any government, like the type of thing about maybe we need to rethink the fundamental soul of this country and what we do. Maybe, you know, should Canada base all of its – and is there an alternative to Canada basing all of its income and all of its wealth, nearly all of its income and all of its wealth off resources, for instance? These are complicated questions, and I'm not saying that I'm provoking an answer there. But just the idea that maybe it, maybe if we just for a few minutes uh, unified, uh, forgot about our political allegiances, forgot about even issues, even about climate change, just for a minute, um, and just you know ask people, hold up your hands and said, you know, who agrees that we need fundamental changes that are beyond what any of the parties that are offering us right now, and that we need changes that that look forward on a larger timeline than the next four years? That we just is there an appetite for fundamental change? And that I think if we have that discussion and we have that discussion with everybody with no preconditions, but the only precondition being is that everybody is invited to the table, uh, then I think that that qualifies a lot of um, you know and try to get some uh, try to get some consensus. Okay, what do we? What type of fundamental changes do we have near consensus or consensus on? Um, and as long as everybody's at the table, as long as we have, you know, First Nations people and we have uh, uh, LGBT people and we have, you know, immigrants and we have Canadians and people from this country and that country and people have been here 40 years and the usual and the right and the left and the everybody and, you know, black, brown, green, white, whatever. If everybody's at that table having discussion about what sort of fundamental long term changes that are we don't usually get offered because it's it's not seem politically savvy or it isn't politically savvy to promote them, but that really there is a plurality of agreement that we need them. And what can we move forward on that we might fundamentally actually just change how politics works, uh, you know, in Canada to start. Um, So I don't, I'm not presenting this as a solution. I'm presenting this as a thought of experiment that if we just forgot about, you know, our personal laundry list of wants and just agreed on what the rules of, well, what types of things, how should we go about making decisions and who agrees that these are good ways of making decisions? And then maybe, you know, from the point of view of a climate person or concerned about environment and climate, we say, okay, now that we've agreed to this, <laughs> we, you know, we have to accept the facts of facts, you know, climate change is real. So let's feed that into our, our discussion about how we go about making decisions. And then we also agree that we're going to feed a lot of other things through that. And maybe we don't get everything that we want. Um, but I think we have to fundamentally agree that we're not going to get everything that we want so that we can move forward in the things that we do. Um, and no, and just in case someone points out here, this will be my last sort of comment on this, uh, is that no, I'm not talking about the, the, the point of view that I'm, that I criticize, uh, frequently, which is that, well, well, building some pipelines is building better than building all the pipelines. So I should just be happy with that. No, because that's not fundamental change. That's window dressing. Uh, I'm talking about fundamental uh, changes here, but let's let's see if we can do that. Let's see if we can just increase the amount of people willing to have a conversation about fundamental change. Period. Because you know it seems obvious that at least in the immediate future, we're not going to get anybody offering us uh, radical changes until the population on mass demands that radical changes are the types of changes that they want. And I think we can get a plurality of people to agree to that. And then politicians, once they understand that that talking in that language will help them politically, then I think we can have a, a discussion about what types of, politi- of of drastic changes that there can be. But we need to agree, and we need to agree into the point that political parties start to offer these options, that there is a taste and a hunger for it, not just window dressing, not just improvements on policies, not just slightly better regulations, but a fundamental overhaul of how decision-making and policy is designed and impacted and rolled out uh, and, and functions in Canada. Uh, and maybe then we can break this stalemate where we, uh, we keep taking two steps forward and one step back every five minutes. Uh, that is my monologue for this week. Thank you very much uh, for listening. I'm, of course, your host, Aaron Kaster. And uh, please enjoy the snow. Drive safe if you're driving. Um, and uh, stay warm. Stay warm.